getting it out this morning. I'm so proud of you. Hey, will you do me a favor? Will you love on our online family that's joining in with us this morning? We love you, online campus. And then how about our Mansfield campus, Pastors Jonathan and Myrna Pena? Can we clap for them? We love you guys. So grateful for all that God is doing at Hill City. And uh, we're just constantly moving forward. And as you heard earlier, if this is your first time at Hill City, we just want to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thanks for taking your Sunday to be with us. There's some great churches in the Metroplex. And the fact that you would come and spend your, your Sunday with us just means the world to us. So if you, would, if you wouldn't mind, as you go to exit today, you'll see some little tables in our foyer area. Something like this with some iPads. Those are our guest service stations. And we have a little gift waiting there for you. Just go by there, meet those guys, and, uh, and they can answer any questions about the church that you might would have. And even if you never come back, at least go by there and get, uh, and, you know, get a little gift so that you can say somebody actually cared enough to think about me coming to their church. Can we clap one more time for all of our first-time guests here today? Thank you for being with us. We love you. I'm uh, Pastor Adam McCain, my beautiful wife, Miss Jamie McCain. You saw us a little bit earlier as we just did a little, little ministry moment together. And I'm so grateful to be married to the best-looking woman on the planet who loves me and sticks with me and whoops on, I mean, and, and encourages me. Praise the Lord. Hey, we are just days away from our Easter services. Can we clap for that? That's been such a big deal. As you've already heard said, we've got so many great activities planned. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of encouragement. Um, about 80, uh, surveys show us that about 84% of Americans, if invited to an Easter service, about 84% of them will be positive and, and say, yeah, I may come. That's a big deal because a lot of times we feel a little intimidated to say hey, to a friend or a coworker or those that follow us on social media or something, hey, come, come join and let's worship God together. And we feel like, you know, well, I already know they struggle. I already know they're agnostic or they may even be atheists. Listen, 84% of Americans are open to maybe coming to celebrate the resurrection of the risen king with you on next Sunday. So I would encourage you, you notice as you came in, we gave you some of these little invitations. It not only is an invitation to the Easter egg drop that we're doing on Saturday, but also to our Sunday services and gives you the times. In fact, uh, in this campus here at Cedar Hill, we're going to do three services. And I just want to give you a heads up. Anyone you invite, you can invite, you know, that you say, Pastor, I can't invite my nephew. If I, he can't sit still that long. I, he's, you know, he, he just can't sit still. He's 16 and he's liable to climb the walls. Listen, we're going to shorten the service. Everybody say amen, Pastor. Come on. And we're going to do about a, about a 70-minute service. So uh, an hour and 10 minutes. We're going to bring the gospel. We're going to bring the truth. We're going to show love. And we've just got some special pieces planned. We're also going to take communion together next Sunday. So uh, be prepared for that. And then as well, this uh, coming Friday, which is actually Good Friday, um, we've been able to gather a group of folks. We've been praying into opening another campus in Arlington, and we're taking those baby steps full, well, just full force, and, uh, and one of the precious families in our, in our church has opened up their home, so we're going to do a service on Friday in their home there in Arlington. In fact, it was so funny, I got reports back that the husband had told our leadership, yeah, yeah, we can do that, let's do that, but he hadn't told his wife. And so when I announces that we she's like is he talking about our house right now because <laughs> somebody about to die and so anyway so we got that straight and uh in fact john's gonna be helping us john stand up see this good looking guy right here and so if you have any questions or you want to be a part of that with us come find john after service and uh john's a sexy brazilian guy sitting here on the front row so come on out and help us with that we have been just looking we've, we've titled this little series that we've been doing for the last few weeks um road to the cross what we really were doing was looking at the days leading up to the cross and then the cross itself. And then next week we'll celebrate the resurrection. 
And with that, I just kind of pointed out to you, we use the term Passion Week to talk about the Sunday before the resurrection and the days all leading up to that. Or we're calling it this, uh, in this series, the Road to the Cross. And we just took a couple weeks and we, po- we pulled out last, the, the, that Sunday when Jesus had his triumphal entry and the ministry that he brought forth through that. And then we looked at last week, the Lord's Supper, that he had the last supper with him on that Thursday night. And today we're really going to camp out on that Friday and Jesus going to the cross. Or what I'm titling as a subtitle in today's teaching, the cross of forgiveness. Everybody say the cross of forgiveness. So Thursday night, picking back up where we left off last week, Thursday night, Jesus has this engagement with his disciples. The last supper, Judas leaves in the middle of the supper. Jesus then teaches what John uses five chapters to explain, or what we talked about last week, these five major points that Jesus wanted us to grasp as he's having that last... Now imagine if you get to have a last meal, last meal with someone that you highly respect. Jesus is having his last meal. And then he takes his disciples, the 11, and they go into the garden, and they're praying, and they're seeking the Father because the cross is coming. And the Bible tells us that Judas had gone out and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver and he comes into the garden with a, with a mob of, of people with torches and, 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 and swords and, and, and the, the military personnel and they come and they take Jesus. And then as you read through the scriptures, throughout the entire night they had multiple trials, in fact, which was illegal to have night trials, three different trials. And all of that, they come and get Jesus by about 9 p.m. They take him captive about 9 p.m. And by 9 a.m. the next morning, he's on the cross. And I just can't get past this beautiful position of my Savior on why he did what he did. And so with that being said, look at with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us about the cross. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Everybody say endured. Say it again. Say endured. Why did he endure the cross? What was the joy set before him? He scorned its shame. He wasn't even concerned about the shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Why or what, excuse me, was the joy for which he endured the cross? And I would propose to you today, the scriptures are real clear. You're the joy. You're the joy. He went up on that cross for you for me. You were the end result. He was willing to suffer. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Come on, mama's in the house. That labor for the joy. In the middle of that labor, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, shoot me with drugs, whatever we got to do, get this over with. But the pain, the suffering that you go through so that you can have, give birth to this child. Jesus went through the pain and the suffering and the humiliation of the cross so that he could have spiritual sons and daughters, so he could make a way so that we could come back to the Father even though we're sinners and we are wicked and we are undone. It is the beautiful image that the cross is, and that is the cross is the greatest image in all of humanity of God's forgiveness for his people. God's forgiveness for those he created. This is his picture the symbol. When you see those golden arches, you think about that sesame seed bun. But when you see the cross, the first thing that should come to your mind is forgiveness. That he loved us so much. To forgive us, he sent his only begotten son and he died on that cross. And as we dive into the cross of forgiveness today, I want to go to our key verse and it's found in Luke chapter 23. 
chapter 23 and verse 34. And it's the statement. Now Jesus, the Gospels record that Jesus made seven statements while hanging on that cross. So I want you to picture what he went through just to get to the cross. Now he has been nailed to the cross. They dropped the beam down into the ground. And the first utterance that we have in the Gospels uttered out of his mouth is these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of the seven things that was said while he was hanging on that cross, the very first thing that he utters, his life is coming to a close. It has started. The death process has started. And the first thing he utters is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It tells me that I probably should wake up every morning and say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I believe that the whole purpose and clarity of the cross is all about forgiveness. That God would forgive us and then expect us to forgive others. That the forgiveness that he extends to us, he will empower us to forgive others. And this is what separates us out from everybody else. That we can love the way Jesus loved. Supernaturally. That he gives us his supernatural love. And the supernatural way that he forgave us... He gives us that same power to forgive others if we will but embrace it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says it like this, talking about the last days. Matthew 24, 10. He says, and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. I want you to understand. In the last days, Jesus is prophesying in Matthew 24 what it will be like. And he literally exposes the schemes of the last day's plan of Satan from the pit of hell. How he's going to destroy the earth, how he's going to destroy Christians, is he's going to have us offended at one another, turning on one another, hating one another. And friend, if you haven't seen that in play in the last three or four years, you have been living under a rock. Because we have been divided culturally, politically. The church, I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about the church. Based on skin tone, based on past uh, horrific acts that have transpired. We, the church, have been aligned more with politics than we have been with Christ. We have. And Jesus warned us. He said, this is going to happen. He says, they'll be offended. There'll be such offense and unforgiveness in their hearts that they'll betray and hate each other. This is how it's going to happen. In Luke chapter 17, he points out something else. He says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. You're going to get offended. Life is about being offended. You cannot have friends without them offending you. You can't go to church without somebody offending you. You can't be alive without being offended. That's why he calls us to, calls us to die. Because dead people aren't offended. You can't stand over that dead body in the, in the grave and go, I don't like you. And they go, stop it, you hurt my feelings. They're dead. That's why we're called to die to ourselves and come alive in Christ. And he tells us, he warns his own disciples, it's impossible. It's going to happen. You're going to get offended. It's like old Bujo did that time. All the fellas that are hanging around the barbershop, he comes walking up. Pierre notices, he says, man, what's that up under your shirt? And Bujo's chest was sticking all up, had some kind of stuff all up under his shirt. Bujo said, well, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, that doggone Pierre ticks me off. Every time I see him, he punches me in the chest. He said, but I got him this time. You know what I done done? He said, I done got all kinds of dynamite hidden up under this shirt. And the moment he punches, I'm going to blow his hand off. 
We're going to leave it right there for you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Offended brother is unyielding. Some of you don't even realize that this unforgiveness, this offense is in your heart, and you do things that you're like, I don't even know why I do them when you look back on them. Why you said that to your wife? Why you, why you put that out there on social media? You were offended. And, 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 and you're unyielding and changing. And you normally aren't unyielding. You're usually really teachable and you're, really, you're usually easy going. But this offended you and you got unforgiveness towards this. And he's like, that's not even. And Jesus literally, the word of God tells us in Proverbs 18 that, that that person is like a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Listen, you cannot be in relationships with anyone without having times of being offended. So therefore, we have to learn the way of the cross. And that is to forgive. Father, forgive them! They don't know what they're doing. Let me just tell you, as Jesus uttered these words, let me just back you up and remind you what the last 24 hours of his life was like. We call it Good Friday. It was not good for Jesus. He was not having a good day. It was a good day for us. So let me back you up in those 24 hours as he's uttering these words on the cross by 9 a.m. the next morning. Let me just tell you what has transpired. Just even within 12 hours, first thing that happens to him is he's betrayed by his own people. Betrayed. Imagine if your child sold you out. Right now they're passing, they're passing laws or trying to pass laws in California that if a child wants to be transgender and their parents resist them, that they can report them and those children can be taken away from their parents. Can you imagine the betrayal of a, of a parent who's trying to raise their kid right and that kid has gotten confused on, by social media things and some person hitting them up and some friend at school and this kind of stuff and you're wanting to protect your child and that child turns you into CPS and is taken away from you? Jesus is betrayed. The very one, I mean, three years, he's been financing these guys. He's been feeding these guys. He's been pouring his life. The king of glory has been pouring his life into these guys. And Judas looks up and says, this ain't good enough for me. I thought I was going to be rich. And you're now talking about you're going to die. And you know, I, 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 man, I knew I bought into a bad plan. I got to salvage what I can. And he goes and he says, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll sell him out. And Jesus is in the garden and the disciples are there half asleep, half getting woke up by Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, here comes a crowd, a horde of people with, with torches, as already mentioned, and swords. And they come into the garden and Judas walks right up to your guy. The guy that you have literally, you've slept on the ground, camping out week after week after right next to you, over here, having meals together, sits there and he kisses you. Says this is the one. Some of you know what it is to be betrayed. Have a husband or a wife cheat on you. Have a church member talk bad about you. Leave you out there by yourself. Exposed. So you understand what Jesus was going through. Because you've had some of that. From there, they take Jesus. And they begin to bring false accusations against him. The Jewish leaders, throughout the night, hold court. Illegal court. We've seen some illegal activities in our justice system. But can you imagine? Jesus doesn't have a voice. The king of glory. At any moment he can say enough and fry them all. But he accepts the road to the cross. 
Why? Why does he accept this? For us, we're the joy of what he's suffering. There he, he did this. Not true, it's a lie. And he did this. They paid people to come lie and falsely accuse him. Do you know how livid you get when someone at work tells a half-truth on you to the boss? Do you know how mad you get? Jesus is falsely accused. Some of you have been falsely accused of things you didn't do. You know what that feels like. Jesus is going through this through the night. It's illegal for them to have these nighttime meetings like this and, and create some false judicial moment. But they judge him wicked. When, in fact, when he stands in front, of, in front of Pilate, let me tell you how innocent he really is. Pilate says, I've looked at all your stuff. He's, he's innocent. He hadn't done any of this. And they still yell out, crucify, crucify, crucify. False accusations against him. How about this next experience that he had? And that was he was rejected. He was rejected. In the midst of all of this false accusations, in the midst of all of this happening, not one of his guys show up and say, wait a minute. They're all gone. They've all fled. He's been falsely accused. And not one of his guys come. The rejection of knowing that your own mama didn't even show up. That your best friend, that your small group didn't show up. That your church didn't show up. Where's my pastor at right now? I'm on trial. Nothing. But nobody's got my back. We've all felt that kind of rejection at one time or another. He goes from that rejection, and then they start abusing him. The Bible talks about how they took that cat of nine tails. Some of you have seen the Passion of the Christ, and I think they did a pretty good job illustrating the brutality of this abuse. Strapping to that pole with his, with his back muscles all stretched out. And then the Roman guards begin to take those cat of nine tails, those nine leather straps on the end of a handle and at the end of those straps are these pieces of metal and, and, and pieces of glass that were tied in so that they were, like, they were like claws and they would start at the top right by his neck and begin to shred his back until there was no muscles left all the way down to his buttocks how they took him into the praetorium the place where the guards the Roman legions the guards would sleep it was their dorms if you will they put a crown of thorns on his head and they beat him down into his skull. They blindfolded him and they spit on him. Prophesy who hit you if you're the king. They abused him. As I was praying over this the last couple of weeks, I, just, I was just thinking, can you imagine out of all that abuse and he still, first thing he says on the cross is, Father, forgive them. I kept, my mind kept flashing back to the George Floyd moment where he's literally being abused. I just, I can't, could you imagine if all of a sudden the cameras zoom in and he screams out, Father, forgive them. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. I think about the, the kids that were murdered this last week. As this person comes through with the gun and shoots these little elements, can you imagine that little girl maybe, as she, one of those little girls that were targeted, the moment she's dying, she cries out, forgive them, Daddy. She doesn't know what she's doing. He's abused. And if that wasn't enough, if they nail him up on that cross, they don't nail him with his clothes on. They humiliate him. Which is part of the Romans' plan. Because they wanted you to know that if you ever break our laws, we're not going to just destroy you. We're going to humiliate your legacy. They put him up on that cross naked. The king of glory. 
spiritual father to all of these people. Same ones that were yelling, Hosanna, who've earlier, just an hour earlier, crucified, are now looking at him in all of his nakedness. Can you imagine that? Think about that. Not to be too coy, but imagine seeing your grandparents naked. You can never get that out of your mind. Messed up for life. Right? You just saw your king, the king of glory. You're sitting there. He's right there. And as he begins to breathe his last breaths of life. And if that wasn't enough, at the end of it all, they murdered him. And yet, on that cross, what does he illustrate for us? What does he model for us, his followers? Father. And he's got to push against the nails to even get up because the compression on his, the, the doctors talk about the compression of hanging like that and the inability even to breathe. And he's got to even press up against them to be, and without any back muscles. He's pressing up against that nail just to get a breath, just so he can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The cross is about forgiveness. Jesus doesn't just forgive us, but he models for us what it is to follow him. To follow him, to, be, to take up our cross and follow him, is not just the pain of humiliation, but the forgiveness for those who've humiliated us. Not just the pain of being falsely treated and mishandled by others. The, the, the pain of the cross and the beauty of the cross, the joy of the cross, is to be able to forgive to be able to forgive and say, you don't deserve my forgiveness, but I don't deserve his forgiveness. And he supernaturally forgave me, so I have the ability to supernaturally forgive you through him. Because I can't do it in my own self. I can't make this happen in my own self. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 says it like this. Since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Since Christ suffered, and since he went to the cross, since he was beat, since he was brutalized, since he was humiliated, and he suffered all that, he says, then what you need to do is think the way he thinks. And here's the problem with forgiveness. Most of us don't see it the way Christ sees it, or the way the Bible actually sees it. So let me give you a couple things that forgiveness is not. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, I got you. Are you there? Say, say yes. Number one, forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. You know, it wasn't that bad. It was bad. That's why you're hurt. The Bible never tells us to minimize it. It's a big deal. I shouldn't have done it. The cross was a big deal. It was a big deal. The Bible never commands us or demands of us to minimize it. And some of you do. You just brush it over. And that's why you never can really walk in healing and never truly forgive. Because, because you just minimize it. The, it, it forgiveness is not minimizing. It's, it's, it's choosing to love and forgive even though it was a big deal. In light of the fact it was a big deal. Here's a second way of thinking that some of us get mixed up. And that is it's not reconciliation. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There's a difference. But for reconciliation to happen, both parties have to be in agreement. People that have hurt you, people that hurt me, they necessarily don't want to be reconciled. They don't necessarily, that don't mean I don't forgive them. 
They, you may never, ever, ever, ever have a right relationship again or a healthy relationship again with that person. But that's not what he told us to do. He told us to forgive. And then he gives a whole other set of teachings on how we can be reconciled as brothers and sisters. But we, we, the thought that, oh my goodness, you know, I've got to be reconciled to that person. They may not want to. It takes two. But it only takes one to forgive. You have the power in Christ to forgive. You have the power in Christ to forgive. Not in your own strength, but in Christ. Here's the other thing it's not. It's not about doing what is fair. Can I just say that for a second? Because let's just say this. You don't want fair. I don't want fair. I want grace. I want mercy. We don't want fair. It's not fair. And I hear this all the time in counseling. It's just not fair. No, life is not fair. But do you want your sins held against you? Don't you want God? Aren't you grateful for God's love and forgiveness? C.S. Lewis said it like this. To be a Christian means we forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. To be a Christian means we forgive the inexcusable. Like, that's, like, like people tell me all the time, how are you able to forgive that? And I'm like, because what God's forgiven me of. Who, who, he who has been forgiven little loveth little. But he who's been forgiven much loveth much. Here's the next thing it's not. It's not impossible. Forgiveness is not impossible. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, it's impossible. It's impossible. I cannot forgive them. I cannot forgive them. It's impossible. That is not true. Because my Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who does what? <clears throat> gives me what? My strength? Who, he ain't giving me my strength. He's giving me his strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me his strength. This is what being a Christian is. Saying, Lord, I can't forgive, but you can give me your strength to forgive. I'm going to stay in you. I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to be who you were. You modeled it. The last, the last moments of your life, the first thing you said is they dropped you down into that hole on that cross. You said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> like they can't see it, God. They think what they're doing is right. They think what they're doing is good. But it's not. And they can't see it. So I'm asking you now, forgive them as they are murdering me. <sighs> you may not have the strength, nor should you. But God himself will give you strength. Can I just tell you how that happens? The closer you get to Jesus, the more you start acting like Jesus. That's why I'm always counseling you, always preaching it to you. Come on, come on, read your Bible. Come on, get in some small group life with some other Christians so they can help you grow in a closer relationship with Jesus. So you can say, oh, that's, that's how you get a little closer to God. You and I, the more we get closer to Jesus, the more we start acting like him, talking like him. His power is able to flow through us. But the more that we treat him like a little, like a little TV program that we watch once a week or a little, or, or a little you know, uh, scrolling through our little Instagram feed and say, oh, look what so-and-so put to me. Oh, that's, that's one of my friends. The more we treat him like that instead of treating him as the source of life and Instead of getting 
so close to him that we stop looking like us and start looking like him. People should start telling us as we've been a Christian 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, like, man, I don't even recognize you. People who haven't seen us in 20, 30 years should say to us when they see us again, like, oh, my goodness, who are you? Like, you're not even the same person. This is what's frustrating to me. And all my years of preaching around the world is to meet people who've been saved 30, 40, 50 years, and and they are gossips, and they're slanders, and they're backbiters, and they're sinful, wicked ways. And it's like, has anything ever, did it work? Something didn't work. Something broke. And I didn't sign up for that. I don't know what you signed up for, but I didn't sign up for that. I did not sign up to still be hypocritical all my life. I did not sign up to be a fake Christian. I didn't sign up to not look like Jesus, act like so. I know he's got stuff he's working out of me, but I'm staying close so he can't work out of me. You can have strength to forgive if you'll just stay close. Just stay close. It's not impossible. Turn to somebody next to you and say, it's not impossible. And so let me teach you what Jesus actually tells us. If you want the strength to forgive, let me tell you, he gives us some practical things to do throughout scriptures. And it comes from doing these things God's way. See, if I keep doing it my way, I'm going to keep getting what I've always gotten. But if I start doing it God's way, I'll start getting what God promised me I can have. You can forgive the most vile person in the world who's hurt you the deepest than anyone's ever helped, hurt you through Christ. Well, we got to do it God's way. Are you with me? Say yes. I mean, how dumb is it for you to go to the doctor and they say, here's what I prescribe. And you go, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, I hope it works out for you. You're going to be a Christian and say, I'm not going to do what he says. Well, I hope it works out for you. It won't. His prescription for his antidote, for his solution, for our lives. So let me give you what he teaches us to do. Here's how God's strength comes from us doing it God's way. Number one, here's what he tells us to do. He tells us to pray for them. Pray for them. Matthew 5 and 43. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Come on, so everybody needs to pull out their phone and start adding to their prayer list right now. <laughs> you had not thought about it, but you need to have those names on that prayer list, and you need to start praying for them. Because guess what? When you start praying for them, you bring supernatural alliance with God and who he is. And as we begin to pray, we begin to submit that pain, that problem, to his supernatural ability. And when you begin to pray over that person, all of a sudden, the, the pain loses its forefrontness, if you will. And all of a sudden, you start seeing through eyes of Jesus. And you start able to say, wait a minute, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They, didn't even, they weren't even mature enough to understand how deeply that hurt me. In, in their pain, they just hurt people, hurt people, God. I see it now. As you start praying for them, something supernatural starts happening. And I can testify. I can testify. I can testify about the pastor that deeply wounded Jamie and I. Deeply. Wrong. We were wronged. No and or buts about it. When he looks back on his life and says, how many mistakes I made, our names are going to come up. We were wrong. Deeply wrong. And my first set of prayers, because I had read these scriptures, so you got to pray for them. My first set of prayers were God exposing. <laughs> oh God, don't let the truth be hidden. Lord, there are those who are false prophets and false teachers. Seriously. Don't let me tell you about the ones who really deeply hurt Jamie and I one time. And I was reading through what happened in the Old Testament when they stole the Ark of the Covenant and God gave them hemorrhoids. I started praying hemorrhoids on some folks that I should have never done. It's amazing how God doesn't answer the stupid prayers of broken people. And that's where my prayer started with this pastor. Oh, God, 
Pray you expose them. Lord, you can't let your sheep be hurt. Lord, there are so many others, oh God, they are going to end up in the... I thank God that I was so mature that it didn't destroy my faith. But Lord, there are others. You have to protect your sheep. And I heard God say, shut up, stupid. I know how to protect my sheep. I use broken people all day long, like you, for example. I was like, I'm sorry. He said, now pray right. And I started praying, oh, Lord, I start with my heart. Help me not to have this hurt in my heart anymore. Started there every day. Wake up. Every day, wake up. Had them on my list. Pray, oh, Jesus. It took me about a month or two to where the pain wasn't as oozing. The wound wasn't as oozing. And then a couple months into it, something had shifted. And I had started, at that point, I started praying, Lord, bless them. Let the favor of God rest upon them and their children. God, we're all broken people. And we all make mistakes, God. Lord, I just pray, Lord, you, you would cover them even like you covered me. And it shifted. It's unbelievable. And the bitterness was gone. The unforgiveness was gone. If you want to get a, if you want to get an army to fail miserably, get them hating each other. If you want to destroy the end time revival move of God on the planet that Jesus is trying to send, all you got to do is get the church with bitterness and unforgiveness towards each other, being offended. It's been a great trick. It's been a great political, excuse me, military move. And it's worked. But it, it's time. It's time for the cross to be the cross. It's time for the forgiveness of the cross to be evident in our life. The first thing he told us to do, pray. Here's the second thing he told us to do. You're not going to like this one either. I didn't. Number two, and that was bless them. <laughs> bless them. Bless them, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless them. The reason why I ask our leaders at the time of giving our tithes and offerings to speak a blessing over you is because I understand the impact that words have. With his words, he created all that we know, the earth. He spoke into existence trees. <laughs> Go back and look at the days of creation. He spoke it. In the beginning was the Word. Talking about Jesus. The Word was God. He was with God. The words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts. Let them be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. The ability to literally destroy people with our words. The ability to build people up with using our words properly. To bless them. He says bless them. Speak life over them. The word bless truly means to speak well of. And I can tell you. I haven't always cursed the people that I were mad at, but I hadn't always blessed them either. To speak well of them. Speak well of them. And I'm in a position all the time where people in leadership, <clears throat> I'm sitting in green rooms and, you know, at lunches and dinners with people who know things about people that have done things. And, I, I, and all the time I have people say, tell me about so-and-so. Hmm. Well, I just would say you... You want to be careful of them. I've found myself not blessing, but, um, <clears throat> but not cursing, but not blessing. And that's not what he tells me to do. He tells me to bless them, to speak well of them, to speak well of them. When I was a youth minister, I was ministering and had a large group of kids that I ministered to. And there was this 
this group. They were never any kid that would ever be associated with you for sure, but those parents in those days didn't raise well, good kids. <clears throat> I had this group of kids, and there's three or four of them. They just were the terror of our youth ministry, just the terror. They were just, oh, I just couldn't stand them. I mean, they didn't love Jesus. They, I, you know, I think their parents probably made them come so that, quote, you know, one day they could get to drive a car or something if they were faithful to youth group. I don't know what it was. But I'll never forget, I was so frustrated, and I came again through these passages of Scripture, and I literally wanted these guys out of the youth group. And I heard this passage again in my heart, in my mind, as I was reading it, something sank deep. And I start, and it said, to bless them, to bless them. They were the ones always acting a fool. Every time I gave an altar call, they were being disruptive. Every time I, you know, was getting one group of kids to really rise up, start being like, these guys would invade that and, and get them all carnal and get them all out drinking and doing stupid stuff. I'll never forget when the Lord said, I want you to bless them. And it started with, I'll never, I went up to the ringleader of the whole little group and I just, I, I just, out of my mouth, I just said, come on, man of God, won't you help me do this? And he looked at me. I just started calling man of God. Man, he was not a man of God. I was calling those things that are not as though they were. <clears throat> For my own heart. I could call him man of, God. man of God. Do you know that years later, that guy showed up. He's an adult now. He's on fire for God serving Jesus. You know what he told me? He said, years ago, he said, Pastor Adam, I bet you don't even remember this. He said, years ago when I was a stupid idiot teenager in your youth group, acted a fool, caused more problems. He said, you started calling me man of God. Every time you'd say, hey, man of God, how you doing, man of God? He goes, and at first I was like, what is he doing? Like, he knows I'm not a man of God. He goes, but I would lay in bed at night and man of God man of God would just permeate down in my mind, in my heart. He said, and I'll never forget in the middle of the night one night when I was like, why is he going, man of God? He said, I just couldn't get past it. It was stupid. I couldn't get past it. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, because he's calling you what you're supposed to be instead of how you're living now. He said, and Pastor Adam, I'm telling you, I was, I was already out, college, whatever. He says, and that, then and there, I submitted to my calling to be a man of God. And he goes, I want you to know today, because you said that over and over and over and over again. What I was doing is I was blessing him. I was blessing him. I was blessing him. I was calling him into his destiny, not into the pain. I wasn't identifying the pain that he was creating in me or in our ministry. I was calling him into his destiny by blessing him. By blessing him. Words have life. And the last of the three things that we see clearly in Scripture that God tells us to do, especially if we're going to walk in forgiveness and he tells us to do good to them. Let me read Romans chapter 12 to you, starting in verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what does it say? Feeding. If he's thirsty, what does it say? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'll never forget, we had a little lady in our church, and we, I'd hear in prayer sometimes, just, Lord, I heap burning coals on the head. That's, that's out of context. Anyway, and do, not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> I tell people all the time. Especially people get real riled up about all the injustice with racism. Dr. King's message was this passage right here. We overcome evil with good, not evil with evil. It doesn't work. 
has never worked. Because now we're all in Satan's camp doing that his way. God's way is supernatural. It's supernatural. You say, Pastor, I, I can't do it. You cannot. But through Christ, you can do all things. He said, I can't do it in my own way. You don't know what they did to me. I don't. But through Christ, you can do all things. He will give you strength to be what you are not. He will give you capacity that you do not possess. This is what makes us his sons and daughters, is that he yields his strength to us. For he is the one who said on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I've already forgiven them. But why is he telling his dad to forgive him? Because mess with my kid. It's one thing to mess with me, but mess with my kid. Daddy, look, come on now. Woo, daddy, you're going to have to forgive him too. <laughs> I don't want to take too much liberty there. But my point being is, is that Jesus, in his last breaths of life, does something supernatural. He forgives humanity. He went to the cross he did all of this, the humiliation, the pain, the suffering for you, for me. He, this pain, suffering gave him the ability to forgive us. And then he says, I will give you the ability to forgive others if you'll do it my way. If you'll pray for them, if you'll bless them, if you'll do good to them. A friend of mine reminded me, I'd heard this years ago, but he reminded me he was recent when this transpired when Joyce Myers at a large church in Australia told this story that she hadn't told anyone. If you know who, know who Joyce Myers is, she's a, a very influential uh, lady minister, ministers around the world, phenomenal communicator, great teacher of the word. Joyce Myers testified that when she was a little girl that her father raped her over 200 times. Her story, not mine. As my friend was retelling the story, he said he sat there in awe as all these pastors and leaders heard this for the first time years ago. He said, I was sitting in the room. He said, and she said 200 times, and she said, and you know how I know it was 200 times? Because I remember every moment as a little girl. She got out of that situation as she got older, and she became the Joyce Myers that we know, a woman of God, loves Jesus, estranged from her dad, and mom and dad, so I understand it, we're not together anymore. And here she is preaching around the country the word of God, around the, around the nations, preaching the word of God. And there came a moment, and this is just 10 years ago, sir, so came a moment when she was reached out to by a family member that her biological father was in a dire place and needed help. And she had to make a decision, will she do good to them? who have brutally abused her, who's never repented a day in their life, who's never even asked for forgiveness, will she forgive and do good? And she said her and her husband grappled with it, but she decided then and there she cannot preach a message she refuses to live and that God would give her strength. And so, because she was a woman of influence and means, she built a house for her dying father next door to her he lived next door to her she took care of him she financed him in his later years and all of those opening and giving him a house doing all this stuff for him never said he was sorry and she said until one day 
there with him. He looked into her eyes and said, I'm sorry for what I did to you as a little girl. For what I did to you. Never knew how to tell you I was sorry. Never knew how to repent. And right then and there, she led her father, her biological father, into a sinner's prayer, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then testified, just weeks later, he passed and went to heaven instead of going to hell. Do you understand the power of the cross to forgive? He said, Pastor, I don't have that power. You don't. I don't. But he does. He does. And if we'll do it his way, when she built that man a house, forgiveness was happening. It, forgiveness was happening. When she got up every morning and blessed him instead of cursing him, forgiveness was happening. When she started back 30 years earlier, she testified, she started praying for him every day. Forgiveness was happening. There was no reconciliation because he didn't want to have anything to do with repentance or being right with God. Didn't believe in it. Whatever it was, holding him back. But in the last moment of his life on this earth, her forgiveness brought his salvation. Do you understand what's at play here? The hatred, the unforgiveness, what's at play here? Souls are in the balance. And Jesus on that cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's something much bigger happening here, and they don't see it. I would say that forgiveness is paramount to being a Christian. That it is what truly separates us from everything broken in this old wicked world. We don't have the ability to do it, but he does. He didn't just speak it. He didn't just preach it. He lived it, and he died it on that cross so that you and I could be forgiven by the Father because of what Jesus paid for. The cross is the ultimate symbol of forgiveness, that he would forgive you and me because we've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all, we've all been perverted. We've all been haters. We've all, we've all been inappropriate. We've all sinned. But he extolled his forgiveness on us when he died on that cross. And he said, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And I'll give you the forgiveness. You'll be accepted as a son or daughter. And then I'll teach you how to forgive others so that others can come to the cross and find ultimate forgiveness. What if, what if this Easter was so much less about eggs and dressing nice and so much more about our insides being nice and so much more about new life in us, chambers of our heart that are dead because of hate, anger, unforgiveness, offense. What if what if we started the Sunday before? What if Palm Sunday was really all about finding forgiveness and moving towards forgiveness for those who've deeply wounded us, who have misappropriated us, who've abused us, who've literally murdered portions of our life? What if we became a church that walked in such forgiveness? God's way. I'm not talking about minimizing it. I'm not talking about like it was wrong. I'm talking about God's supernatural freedom. What if we were one family 
who knew how to forgive one another and overcome offenses with one another? What if we were the light to a whole broken world who sits around all day long podcasts talking about how bad it all is, but no one has any real solutions? We can't even get our, our political leaders to find real solutions. We're at each other and hating each other, and we're worried about this. And we're about, what if the church could rise in the ashes and say, let me tell you how it's done You love the unlovable. You forgive the unforgivable because he forgave you. You have the ability to supernaturally do the same. It's a supernatural thing we're talking about, not a natural ability. And the world can't do it. They can't do it. They can try. They can fake it. But they cannot do it. But you and I have access to the one who hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. In the last 12 hours, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. What if we became like that? What if we, how much life could you live with the days that you have left that there was no bitterness in your heart towards anyone? Or no unforgiveness towards anyone? When someone's name is mentioned who's done you so dirty and so wrong that you can say, oh, they're amazing. I bless them. Man of God. I bless, he's a, he's a man of God. She's a man, a woman of God. Oh my God. If we did that, what if we were that? That would be something that the world would say, I want, I need. Stand with me quickly across the room. Come on, stand. The forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive here's what I want you to do for a moment just, just close your eyes and bow your head just so I just get you to do that so you can concentrate so you can have I want to create a, or give you space to have a moment with your God right here right where we stand like just kind of close your eyes bow your head that way you can concentrate on the engagement with the one who died on the cross for you who forgave you I think, I think we can't really go any further in our engagement today without responding to the Holy Scriptures that we could be men and women who forgive. I'm sure you've got a couple names on your list that have done you wrong. Maybe even people you don't think about or talk about anymore, but they're still in your heart. They're still deep deep hurt, anger. The Bible says be careful lest that turns into a root of bitterness. Lest the fact that they've, their offense to you, the pain that they cause you, be careful with that, he says, because it'll turn into a root of bitterness and it literally will defile everyone around you. So before it turns into bitterness, or even after it's already turned into bitterness, this is the moment here and now to say, Lord, I need your strength to help me forgive them. So that's what I want you to do, right where you stand, head bowed, eye closed. I just want you to say, Lord, I need your strength to forgive them. And I want you to make a covenant relationship with your God that you'll pray for them every day. Every day, you'll pray for them. You'll pray for them. Every day. And then I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, say, Lord, I I may not be able to bless them every day and speak good about them every day, but Lord, I want to go down that pathway. Would you help me? Would you help me? And then then if you could get to that next kind of development, say, Lord, I want you to help me do good to them. I want you to help me find a way 
to do something good for them. Lord God, when you present it, I won't run away from it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll make it happen. Because you told me to do good. This is his, this is his str- strategy. So that you can walk in forgiveness. This is his This is his solution. This is his remedy. Pray for them. Bless them. And do good to them. Father, here we are before you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And Lord, we're just asking you to make us like Jesus. Jesus, we want to be like you. It blows my mind. When Isaiah said that you were beyond recognition. As you hung on that cross, you didn't even look like a human. You were so tortured. You were so humiliated. Your opening statement is forgive them. As you're breathing your last breath, you could have easily said, destroy them, Father. I'm done with them. I don't want this anymore. You could have seen us as wicked and vile, but you saw us as potential sons and daughters. And so for the joy of having us, you endured it. You embraced the shame. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to see the potential in a person who's deeply wounded me. I want to see, Lord God, the the joy of their deliverance. I want to not be a man who straps the dynamite under my shirt, thinking that I'm going to somehow fix them. By holding anger towards them, unforgiveness towards them, when all it does is destroy me. Jesus, I ask you to heal us, to unify us as a church body. As Lord, I ask you to do it across the nations of the earth. That the believers would, would follow in your supernatural strength to forgive. Therefore, unified in our love for a broken world and broken people and care for one another as we hurt one another. You've promised us that we would be offended. It's impossible, you said, to not be offended. You pointed out that the great strategy of the enemy in the last days was to cause us to be offended and hate each other and betray each other. God, I pray against that, and I pray, Lord God, that you would start with Hill City. Start with me. Start with me. Start with my family. Start with our leadership of this church. Teach us, oh God. Teach us to walk in your strength to forgive. To bring healing. Instead of keeping people at arm's length because they hurt us. Or they don't fit in our box properly. of what we think is right. Heal us now. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? One of the greatest revelations you can have in life is that you're a sinner. I'll never forget when I had a revelation. I'm a sinner. Trying to be a good person, but I'm a sinner. And I'm sinning against God. And I need to repent of my sins. Today, if you're in this place, and I would ask you this simple question. If you died today, would you go to heaven? If something horrific happened and on your way out of this meeting today, you find yourself in the intersection, and the light turns green, you go through the intersection, but an 18-wheeler coming in the opposite direction runs the red light, sideswipes you, kills you, and you stand before Jesus. Is he going to look at you and say, I love you, I'm proud of you? Or is he going to say, why? 
Why? I kept trying to reach you and you kept pushing me away. Friend, I got such good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I always say it like this. He didn't tell you you have to give money to the church to be forgiven. He didn't tell you you have to crawl on your knees and light candles to be forgiven. He says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. The scriptures teach us that as we repent and say, Jesus, I don't want to be like this. Forgive me. Oh, he reaches out his loving arms. He grabs a hold to us. That's why the image of the cross is so beautiful. Because Jesus' arms are forever seared in the minds of humanity. and stretched out. Welcoming. Not arms crossed. You're not good enough for me. You keep failing me. His arms are always stretched out. Saying, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. With sin and wickedness. I'll give you rest. I'll deliver you. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like to pray with anyone who says, Pastor, it's time. I need to get right with God. I need to repent of my sins. I want to confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to serve Him. I'm ready to give Him my whole life. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. Cameras are not going to zoom in on you to see who you are, and we're going to you know, make some video about it. No, this is private. This is deep. This is eternal. So right where you stand, I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance, a dedication of your life to Jesus, a repenting of your sins making him the Lord of your life. And if you say, Pastor, that's me, I want that, then I need to know who I'm about to pray with because I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance, a prayer of dedication. I need to know who says, Pastor, it's time, I'm ready, I need to get right with God. If that's you with no one looking around, would you slip your hand up so I know? No one's looking, just me, you, and heaven. God bless you, thank you guys. Okay, yes, sir. Pastor, pray, it's time, I'm ready. Pray for me, Pastor. Lead me in a prayer. Anyone else? Okay, two more seconds. One, two, okay, put your hands down. Now I'm going to lead us in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. A prayer of dedication. God's going to hear that and immediately respond with grace poured out on you and acceptance of you as a son or daughter. But I need you to pray this prayer with all sincerity and mean it from the depths of your heart as a declaration of who you are and who you want to become. And I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of those who lifted their hands. You ready? I want you to mean it. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, Jesus. Today, today I admit, I admit. I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. I change my mind. Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm here now to declare that you are my Lord and my Savior. And that I will serve you all the days of my life. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name, keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now, peace would just fall on their heart, on their mind. Lord, I know why those years I didn't serve you, but I went to church because I was scared I was going to mess it all up. I didn't think you, I was good enough. And you set me free from that lie. I just accepted that I was wicked who needed a Savior. And when I did and I called on your forgiveness, you forgave me. And peace overtook me. I didn't have to perform for your love. I just had to accept it. I didn't have to pay for your love. You paid for it. I just had to accept it. So I pray that same peace over every one of my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, I pray for that joy that the Bible talks about. There's, no, there's not an elephant in the room anymore. They're not running away from you anymore. They're not keeping you at arm's length. They're not rejecting your text messages or phone calls. Lord God, they're receiving from you now. 
And Lord, I pray for that joy, that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, I thank you. I ask you to get them in some good Christian circles, Lord, some other Christian friends, maybe here at Hill City. If not, Lord, at another good church, Lord God, but, but we all need somebody to have our back. We don't need to walk this thing along. So I pray these miracles would transpire over the next few days and weeks. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud how good God has been to? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.